Welcome to episode three of the General Consensus Podcast. Today we'll be discussing the international student experience. And as ever, I'm joined by two of my nearest and dearest mates, my co-host Simba and a friend of the podcast, Tawanda. I'm also excited to announce that today we're joined by our first external guest, a friend of mine who's currently majoring in architecture at LSU. And she's here to share her experiences along with us. So it's a pleasure to have you with us today, Mandy, and thanks for joining us. So just to start us off, um, do you guys want to start by sharing or walking us through your first week as an international student? For those of us that can even remember how that went, any interesting experiences, and just your initial sort of reactions to being in a different environment, and I'd say what you what you really remember of it. Um, I don't really remember it all that well, honestly, but I think like for me, the biggest concern I had coming to the U.S. was, am I going to make any friends? Because like, I think I went a couple of weeks without really speaking to anyone. And so that was weird and hard, but it fixed itself pretty quickly. That's actually true, especially when you say that it fixes itself. I think most of us have sort of that anxiety about, you know, it's a new situation. You have to like build yourself up and your life up essentially from scratch again. You've just spent six years or so, you know, getting to know people in high school and now you have to repeat the same process. Um, and it can be a bit daunting. That's for sure. What about you, Tawanda? Yo, um... I'm just thinking of my, yeah, I'm thinking of my first week. And I think uh, for me, it wasn't more, there wasn't problems with like getting accustomed to actual school, but it was more about outside. Like when I went to the shops and yeah, they didn't speak English. <laughs> yeah, it was really tough because like, even though I learned German before leaving, like, once you actually have to test it in the quote-unquote real world, it's, it just becomes daunting. So once I got back to school and lectures and my classmates were now all speaking English, it was now like, oh, okay, it's a safe haven until I ended up getting used to the language and speaking it quite well. It's interesting you say that. I mean... Because I actually was surprised. I think it was the day before or, yeah, it might have been two or three days ago, I was talking to Tawanda. And he was telling me that in Germany, really, I mean, it's only really when you're going to the shops, interacting with the German people, that you have to speak, obviously, German. But at your university, you know, English is what most, most of the courses are taught in. And you barely have to use German when you're doing university-based activities. So I, I always wondered whether that would sort of make your acclimatization period a bit longer than usual because you're not sort of thrown into the fire because you can sort of have leeway of speaking English or if you know other Zimbabweans, which you do um, speaking Shana or whatever the case may be. Simba, what are your sort of experiences in your side of Europe? Yeah, it was a bit tricky because I came and 
I actually literally learned for one week and then everything was just closed down, the corona thing. So I was like, I didn't have the time to literally do anything to see what the place is like, you know. So it was just it was just mad. And yeah, um that that's what I can generally say. Of course I can also let to under that language is also quite another issue, you know, like you think you know a language, then all of a sudden you get there and it's time to speak, the mic drops and yeah, you look like an idiot, but yeah, um, just, that's uh, that's from my side. All right. Um, well, talking more about, well, again, the, the climatization pro, um, process, because Mundy was saying that sort of sorts itself out. My situation, luckily, was that I came with Sia. Um, and C and I had been at the same high school, obviously with Toronto and Simba, since we were 13, 12, 13, until we we're 18. So I really known C for six years. And then he's now my roommate. So for me, I always had a lot of people in Edinburgh. I also have um, family friends in Edinburgh um, who are at a different university in the city. I've had another family friend who went to my church and to my primary school since we were little. So for me, I never really had to go through that process that, for example, Mandy went through, where you have to sort of, you know, um, fit into a new group. I sort of already had my group um, and from there just expanded. So my experience in that regard was slightly similar, but where, uh, sorry, slightly dissimilar, um, but where probably our experiences might converge a bit, um, is because my whole thing was, like Toronto saying, not necessarily um, an academic shock or anything to do with the learning, but it was more a culture shock. Because as much Western TV, music and media that I used to, or most of us digested growing up, it can never really prepare you for what you're about to experience. Because firsthand experience is just an even greater teacher. So just going back to what Mandy was saying about how it sorts itself out. Um, are you in a sorority or, or what sort of situation are you in um, that side of LSU? I wish I was in a sorority. <laughs> but um, no, I joined like an honors fraternity. So um, it's like, so like any gender you can join that. And I feel like the activities are more or less the same that you would see, like, in your standard sorority or fraternity, but we just don't have a house to live in, you know. Um, but that's been, like, really good for me in terms of making friends as well. Like, when I joined, I did have, like, a pretty solid group of friends, but it's always really good to branch out, meet more people. So that was one of the um, the biggest ways that I was able to, like, expand my friend group all right we all as far as i know we don't have sororities or fraternities at my university i might be mistaken because i'm the kind of person who won't see something if i'm not looking for it so because of that i haven't actively been searching for them but to the best of my knowledge knowledge what we do have are like for example business school law school you have like the sort of mom and dad situation. For example, in my law school, it's called law powers. So 
the PALS stands for peer assisted learning. And it's sort of like third and fourth years that watch over you, you know, they teach you basically how to get by as a student, that, all that sort of stuff. Um, so we don't necessarily have like that whole communal living thing that you'd find in a fraternity or a sorority. Um, but we're kind of helped to settle in. We've got all these obviously international student organizations, um, African student organizations and that sort of thing. Uh, but I'm curious to find out for Tawanda and Simba, what sort of resources does a university um, or the government, um, whichever it is, provide you guys as international students to sort of settle down and you know just get a bit comfortable so you can start on your academic journey? Damn, y'all have fraternities, sororities, and even even learning groups. Like, I'm actually kind of surprised to hear this because this side, <laughs> you're literally on your own. Um, okay, I put it. Okay, um, luckily for me, like I had like a strong friend group where we are literally our own support group. It's not like obviously it's not a club, so to say, but it's obviously like people from my course where we just say, we check on each other, we study together, we basically do everything university and university life related together. So basically, if I'm to say like what has put me through, because obviously you can't go through this like whole uni experience alone. It's basically those friends that I met at this at that starting week of my course the people that decided to tag along and help and help each other and and help each other basically so yeah i wouldn't say that we've got like an official group obviously in terms of like when you're now uh down bad basically when you're now in trouble trouble we've got um we've got like therapy assistance and all of that, but when it comes to general learning assistance, yeah, it's it's just us. Because even like the student, even the teachers themselves, they're just like, okay, dude, um, here's the course. If you fail, you fail. If you pass, you pass. Well done. But yeah, I'm just teaching, <laughs> so that's also. I mean, on one hand, I guess it's it's good that you do have that fail safe. If things get extreme but obviously as international students we would our hope and our expectation would be that we would have a system in place so that we never have to reach that point but it is better than nothing because I, I don't think we'd even have anything remotely close to that if we were studying you know in a country or at a university that has even far less resources than what we are currently privy to what about you Simba yeah, um, of course, yeah, similar to Tanda again. Um, there's not really like much where you can go to in terms of like support. Of course, there's one that I know they do a very good job in helping like national students and whatnot. Um, but like it's basically um, your it's each man for himself. Um, of course, you can go seek help from like the teachers or whatever, and that in that in that aspect that's which is the case in at every university, but like, yeah, um, it's sometimes they'll be able to help you on certain things and sometimes not really much. So it's basically like, just have to have like that, that, that group of people 
that that you're always with. Um, that's basically your support group, and then um, whatever comes after that, I guess, is a bonus. Okay, I, and, and like again, like I'm saying, because obviously, knowing that the two of you are a big part of my friend group, and even beyond university, it's good to just have friends that you can talk to, even if it's not about deep stuff. If it's just about you can send someone a meme, for example, and you know that you can both get a laugh out of it, and that can alleviate some of the pressure or the anxiety or the overthinking, because as international students, as students in general, we can be quite prone to that. Um, and that leads to my next question, which is, how would you guys describe yourselves as flatmates or roommates if you have ever been in that situation? Because my personal experience is that I was, uh, I was a roommate obviously with Sia in first year, but then now, well, from second year until now, I've now been living in an apartment. Um, so that's how that transition's gone for me. And I would say as a roommate, I'm probably better at being a roommate than a flatmate. Because if I'm a roommate, um, I'm a lot easier to talk to because obviously it's, it's the same room in there. But as a flatmate, I can be a bit, not intentionally distanced, but I would say just in my own sort of bubble, uh, so to speak. So I wouldn't say that I, I would enjoy having myself as a flatmate, more as a roommate where I'd be a lot more accessible. But that's just me. What about you guys? Oh, um, I feel like regardless, <laughs> I am more or less the same person. Like, I am constantly busy. Like, I'll, I'll leave the house at, like, 8 and be back at, like, 8. And at that point, it's like, I really just need to sleep. So it's like, even if I have like a really good relationship with my roommate, I just don't really have the time to see you, which sucks, but it just is the way it is. But I feel like I'm a pretty good roommate though. Like I'm not bothering anyone. I'm pretty clean, you know what I mean? So I don't know. I guess I wish I interacted with my roommates more than I currently do. All right, what about you Tawanda? Uh, I am very, from, from what I've seen from the time that I was, um, a flatmate, um, I think I'm maybe a bit too tolerant for my, for my liking. <laughs> That's the best way that I can put it. Like, um, I mean, obviously if you go over the line, like, let's say you leave something dirty in the sink or or something petty, you know, like you don't do your duty. I will politely call you out, but um, yeah, I've seen that I'm tolerant and yeah, like I kind of like you, I keep to myself to a certain extent, uh, not intentionally. Like if you want to talk to me, you can come to my room and we can talk. But even, but if you now start like coming and talking for over an hour, or if you're too talkative a person, yeah, that's, um, it's yeah, it, it it I wouldn't say it gets on my nerves, but like it'll yeah, I'll start being like, okay, um, don't you have something to do type of thing. Yeah, that can be a bit of a it can be a bit of a turn off and because 
it's understandable that people do need that social interaction. But it can be a bit discern. I mean, I'm disconcerting if you know you have a clingy roommate or flatmate, because at the end of the day, it, like Monday's saying, it would be nice to spend more time with people, but the way that things are set up nine times out of 10, we have way too much on our plate to really like Tawanda said, be talking to someone for like over an hour. Cause that, that's a lot of time. And often, you know, with university courses, it's really the finest of margins anyway. So it's a bit of a tough one to balance out. What's been your experience so far, Simba? Yeah, um, I think, um uh, with me yeah me and my roommate get on pretty well i think one thing that um makes us get on well is that uh, um we're both hygienic people um tend to keep to ourselves but then we do chat quite a number of times and it's always good like um to have someone there to chat with because i can imagine even for people who um live by themselves um, in that lockdown period where you have literally no one to chat to unless you're on yourself on social media and all that so but yeah um I think for me I've I found it um good of course sometimes the days where you just as a person we all have those days where you just don't feel like talking just it's just one of those days but then there are also days where yeah you just talk and the conversation goes on and on and yeah it's it's just it's just nice like of course sometimes um, people need to know their boundaries and where they can't uh, overstep the line and all that. But generally, I find it um, pretty, pretty good. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of stuff that we can talk about. But yeah, it's 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 a nice experience, I'm not going to lie. I, I think I, I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. My thing is that I guess I've never really had a roommate or flatmate that I didn't disagree with. So for me, conflict has never been an issue. So I think that's another thing to be grateful for because you hear all these stories of like these horror pairings where it's two people who in any normal circumstances probably wouldn't cross paths, probably wouldn't be in the same room or yeah, in the same room with each other, but then they've somehow been paired together and it's just total chaos. So that's just, I guess, no reason to be a bit more grateful. But then what, what's what been your schedule like? Um, or how did you use to plan your days in first year as opposed to how you sort of adapted now? Because I think we can be a bit blinkered when we first get to university, as was the case with a lot of us, um, myself included. So what sort of adjustments and adaptations have you guys made to sort of just not go crazy with the university timetables and schedules because you can get some really unique combination of classes and assignments and all that sort of stuff. I don't know if I've made any adjustments. I think it's helped um, that I got a job eventually. So that's like another thing that I have to like put in my day and I know, okay, now I need to work around this and make sure I have enough time to like do homework and all of that stuff. And like, I'm in four different organizations. So it's like, I also need to put that into mind, attend those events, attend those meetings. And I think 
by slightly having a lot on my plate, it helps me just be more productive. Because if I know, oh, I just have school and that's it, I just tend to like sleep the rest of the time. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I, I totally get you. That was the same situation I was in in first year because I literally just had school. So I'd wake up at about, I think we had breakfast from seven to 10. I don't even remember back in the student dorms. Um, but yeah, I, I'd wake up at about eight and I'd probably have a 9 a.m. class. I wake up, shower, have a quick breakfast, brush my teeth, and then run over to, to the campus. Um, it would be like a five to seven minute jog. And then have my classes probably until lunch, have lunch. And then in the afternoon, I probably wouldn't have classes. I just like probably doze off or just spend my day doing like nothing that productive. And then eventually I have to do all my work in the evening. Whereas when I finally got to second year, I got a job. I joined a few more organizations and I was a lot busier, but I was also getting things done a lot quicker because I was busy. So similarly to Mundy's sort of situation, it, I don't know what, what it is about it, but it does make you more productive, whether it's the time constraint pressure or whether it's just having something, you know, stimulating you to get things done. But that's what my sort of transition was from first to second year carrying on to where I am now. What about you, Tawanda? Yeah, pretty much the same as you guys. Um, in my first in my first semester, it was, um, okay, in my first semester, I was kind of busy in the sense that, um, obviously, it was before Corona came through. So I was going to school and I was playing basketball. So when yeah when uh, when the virus didn't do the thing that it's doing right now we used to go for you know tournaments in other cities so that would keep me busy because i'd be traveling with the team you know just like we used to do in high school so i would be like oh i'm gassed to do this i'm gassed to play against these other guys so yeah that was pretty exciting but then um yeah when corona initially came and it wasn't that deep um, sports got stopped still so you know I had to I was literally just like left at home doing school online and I think it was worse when school was over and you couldn't do anything for the holidays so I was also glad when I eventually got my job because yeah like that set up um, my that went up with my productivity scale so i was like oh okay i have to go to work and now after i go to work i should take a quick nap and then as soon as i take the quick nap i have to go study so that i don't mess up this test that's coming up so basically i was just busy and you know it's yeah it's good because at the end of the day you go to sleep and you're just like okay uh i did a lot today and i'm proud of that i hear you so Bearing that in mind, I wanted to ask you guys, um, particularly Mundi and Tawanda, what would you say were your biggest non-academic takeaways from the university experience so far? So I'm talking about, it doesn't have to be directly linked to actually being on campus, but being in that new environment. What have you learned more about the people around you, the systems around you, and, and or, I guess, yourself? 
Tawana, do you want to start this one? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll go first. Um, basically, um, like, you remember how I was saying initially that, like, uh, my, I was a bit shy with, in terms of German, like, in terms of speaking German. So, yeah, I was, whenever people talked, like, I would reply properly, but there wouldn't be that confidence. So now, like, with time, as that built up, even at work, the conversations that I would normally be, that where I would normally just be listening, I was now contributing, and I felt like I was, like, more into the culture. Like, even if, like, let's say, even if they speak, even if the Germans, for example, the German friends that I have are speaking in English, if they have a word that they can't, say in english i'll be like oh no 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 i understand keep going because um i'm that confident now or even switch the language to german when they feel like it so i feel that that kind of immersion into the into their culture rather as like yeah has helped a lot i think that's a that's a big achievement for me because i wouldn't say that like i feel like a german but i i can definitely say that i understand it now Okay. I think for me, what it's been is that I've kind of realized that you're never really as good or as bad as people think you are. And I think you can also just like apply that to just general perceptions about you or even your work. Like from the outside, I think we both went to, uh, I think fairly toxic schools. Monday went to girls college, we went to Falcon College. Um, and to a certain extent, those sort of boarding school environments can be very toxic. You get a lot of judgment. People, you know, um, earlier than thou, some people think they know everything about everyone. Um, and I think getting to this sort of environment has been, uh, it's, it's, it's felt really cathartic, at least for me. You know, like, it's been very releasing and, and freeing because you sort of realize from, and how, how this started for me is that you, you walk down the street and people aren't as self-conscious as they are maybe back home in Zimbabwe. You know, when you're back home, everyone's judging you. And so that sort of gets projected onto you and how you carry yourself. But yeah, it's not that same thing. So that leaves you to be more assured in your decisions and they're not being influenced externally. And even when people do project onto you, you realize that their projections don't necessarily accurately reflect who you are or what you're doing and i think that's been my biggest takeaway and um, i'd say personal realization being in this new environment um yeah i thought that those were all interesting i think for me it's probably just like don't be afraid to approach people don't be afraid to ask because the first friend I ever made when I was here, we were in a class together. And one day I was like in the dining hall, you know, just eating dinner by myself. And then she came up to me and she was like, hey, we're in this class together. Next time you eat, like text me and we can eat together. And it's like, that's like one of my closest friends. I feel like that's one of the best friends I've ever made. And even last semester, I was just like walking around campus and this girl's like, hey, I really like your sweater. 
let's get coffee sometime. And it's super easy to make friends here, I feel. But it's just, like, you need to be outgoing and, like, put yourself out there. And even, like, in terms of asking, I realize that maybe I'm still, like, within a bubble because, you know, I am in, at a university. But I've noticed, like, no matter, like, what you're going through, if you're, like, sick or you're, like, stressed and having a hard time there or, like, hey, I'm trying to look for a job, I've realized that there's probably a resource for everything. There's someone definitely there to help. You literally just need to ask, and they'll go like above and beyond to make sure that they like resolve the issue. No, I back that for sure, and I think definitely. Um, obviously, a lot of my sort of experiences, I always like to mirror them to how things would have been back at home, because it's I think for myself, it's important to have that sort of introspection and see how I would have dealt with things differently. I think if I had gone to university in Zimbabwe, not that there's anything wrong with Zimbabwe because obviously I love where we're from, but I don't think I would have had the same confidence to, similarly like what Mandy is telling us or advising us and any prospective student is just to be more outgoing because, you know, you sort of, one thing that you don't realize until you're there is, yeah, you're nervous, you might be anxious, you might be shy like Tawanda used to be, but everyone else is going through the same thing. I mean, the majority of people are on this new journey, trying to find people who they can, you know, be on this journey with for the long run. And you never know what each conversation can lead to. My experience with meeting one of my closest friends um, from uni is this guy called Tamuka, is that there's this app. Um, when I when we got accepted into UK universities, they always refer this. Uh, I think it's called Campus Society. And you basically get to talk to all the people from your country that are going to your university. And it's, it's sort of like a Facebook, but for universities, it's quite interesting. And so I met Tamuka and he's like, I'm just texting him and getting to know him. This is back before um, we both confirmed we we're going to Edinburgh. And then, yeah. And then I just told him that uh, I have friends from Bulawayo, like, uh, to Tenda Chiruma and people that went to Whitestone because he went to Whitestone for a brief period. Um, and then, you know, we thought nothing of it. And then I get to orientation week and this tall guy, this tall guy, he just taps me on the shoulder and he's like, are you Hillary? I'm like, yeah, how do you know my name? And he's like, oh, I'm Tamuka. And just like that, you know, going from, you know, messaging someone on this platform, hoping that, you know, you can have someone who can be, if not a friend, at least an acquaintance, someone you can relate to, being from a similar background, to then being very close friends. And it all starts with a simple conversation that might be virtual on some platform or social media, or it might be, you know, quite, oh, it might be in person, it might be physical. And it varies um, by the interaction. Um, but really that, leads me to the next thing that I did want to touch on, which is that social media does have obviously some kind of bearing on how we perceive the world. But I wanted to ask if there's any sort of effect that you've guys seen with social media sort of influencing your, your experience as an international student. And what I mean by that, for example, is obviously we all have friends studying different parts of the world. Do you ever 
see what's going on, what they're experiencing and think, oh, that seems like it might be fun or it might be an opportunity for me to learn something. Can I find an equivalent, you know, in my area and in my environment? Or oh, that person's getting involved in that. Maybe I can find something that can help me, you know, progress towards this, that sort of thing. Am I am I still going first? Yes, sir. <laughs> okay, just checking. Um, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think. I think the most uh, progressive thing is that, like, um, there's this. Okay, there's this board of of like uh, it's called, we we call it Asta here, but it's basically like like a youth a youth board and yeah they basically just like take care of the well they don't take care of us but yeah they basically just like they are like our social uh social media check where they just like okay like um not even social media social life uh checkers in general where they organize like university based parties university movie nights um university study sessions so like those guys i won't say that they've like directly influenced me to start like my own type of university experience but then they have assisted me in like making guidelines because obviously these are guys that have uh been like through four years of uni three years of uni so it's they're already accustomed to that environment. So it's always like good to lean on that experience and make your own adjustments to see how you can acclimatize to where you're at. And yeah, that's the closest thing that I can link towards that, that kind of progression in terms of, yeah, in terms of being social. Oh, okay. Um, I think for me, an issue that I have is I don't speak to a lot of international students, which I guess, you know, pros and cons, like it was good in the terms that um, by knowing people here, I've more or less found a family. Like I have a friend who I basically feel like one of their kids. They'll take me on holiday. I'll go over for like Christmas and Thanksgiving and stuff like that. But then um, it's also like I don't have anyone that I necessarily relate to background wise, um, which is made difficult more because I don't think there's any Zimbabweans at my school. I think I'm literally the only one. Um, but like I've noticed like with a lot of other international students, they are very involved in their like African societies and all of that. Like I see them always posting flyers, like, hey, I'm in the board for this. And so that's something that I've always wanted to find the equivalent for, which I'm sure we do, but at the same time, don't really. Because like, I don't know if this is offensive, but anyway, I think that like black Americans and like African Africans are very different in certain regards. And I think Black Americans join like African organizations in a attempt to reconnect with their like past or ancestors and whatever. 
but they end up kind of not to say destroy, but they kind of don't understand. And so that's like an issue I've heard in the already existing African organizations, which has kind of pushed me away from them. But like, I think that's something that I want to work on. They create an organization just like purely for Africans who have a similar background. Don't know if I answered that question. (laughs) I think you answered it quite well. And it actually reminded me of something that I actually, I wouldn't say I experienced it because I wasn't at the forefront, more sort of witnessed, Um, which is that there can be, I think there is a disconnect um, between African-Americans and Africans. Um, And there's also one between British British or people of color and Africans as well. Um, Because sometimes there's an obsession. Um, I, I mean to put that respectfully, but there's, an obsession, sometimes even a fetish, with wanting to understand African culture and that sort of thing. And in that obsessive search for, and I don't want to diagnose them because obviously I'm I'm no uh, culture specialist, I'm no psychologist, but it seems to me that in that obsessive search for what might be um, a forgotten identity, or that of their ancestors, their grandparents. People can be a bit intrusive and I'm looking for the right words. Perhaps they ask too much of you. Um, They expect you to know a lot of things about a lot of things that don't necessarily relate to you, but just because you fall under the umbrella of being African. So I've tended to steer clear of African organizations while I'm at university. but they do do good because obviously there's a camaraderie, camaraderie there's fundraising. They also fundraise, um, they fundraised during the Black Lives Matter movement and so on and so forth. So they are pros, but they're also cons. Um, and my experience has been obviously outside of my bubble of diffuse involvements that I talk to, I don't necessarily hang out with too many African students or other international students because the whole point of me being at university and the reason why I chose a certain city is to sort of seek out that culture, um, not necessarily have my own culture repeated to me over and over again, because I really know what that's about, if that makes sense. So that's been my sort of relationship with just, not just African organizations, but international organizations. So my question now for the two of you becomes, do you use social media more for engagement or for entertainment? Yeah, um, in my case, the the switch has definitely flipped. It used to be for entertainment, but it is now. Wait, wait. Before before I actually say engagement, can you define engagement? Okay. Um, in the context of what I'm saying is, do you do you use social media? Entertainment is entertainment, but in, by engagement, what I mean is sort of discussing topics or advocating for certain issues, and maybe not even advocating for them, but just informing people and having those discussions. Um, it doesn't even have to be on a profound level, but just engaging you know, in, in, in conversations and discussions about things that you care about. Because obviously um, it's, it's a lot easier to use Instagram for entertainment and Twitter for engagement and entertainment, but more like I was asking where your inclinations uh, might be towards 
Uh, okay, now, so in that sense, it's definitely engagement. Um, Instagram is basically my Sky News these days because, yeah, there's, well, yeah, it, I don't know whether it's now like that adjustment, but, you know, there's there's so much that's that's wrong in the world. And I feel like um, if you say, okay, someone else will deal with it, um, let's, I'll just let it go and uh, just try to stay happy. It's yeah, it's counterproductive because there could be like another million people thinking like you. So I feel like if you, you, it's almost a duty to be engaged. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say like you should actively put out your opinion on every single post that's made, but I feel like you should do your best to be informed enough to have an opinion. And then it, it, after that will be, it'll be your choice whether you want to share that opinion or not. Like, if you ask me five years ago, uh, Tawanda, are you going to follow, for example, Sky News or CNN on Instagram? I'll be like, are you dumb? But now it's like, how, it's like almost priority to, because, you know, you need to find out. I, I feel like it's my duty to find out what's going on in the world to inform myself so that I'm not in, so that in terms of this news that I'm not in a bubble, I'm not just saying, okay, let me just find out what's happening in Germany, then I'm done. I wanna find out what's happening like with the whole world. Like for example, if something happens, that's like controversial, for example, in Scotland, I'll be like, oh, Tino, have you heard of this? That's that kind of thing. I want to be proactive. Okay, I hear you. I think for me, how it is, is that I, I really like to compartmentalize things. For me, for the most part, Twitter used to be about engaging. Um, but then I realized that at the end of the day, um, I could still do that in other sort of platforms. So I stopped using Twitter for engagement because I realized that because it's such an open world, um, it's very easy for your, for your message to get diluted and misconstrued. Um, were misquoted. So I, I just started using Twitter for entertainment and I started using my more intimate um, so, sort of platforms like WhatsApp, um, my private Instagram account for engagement, and then, you know, using all these sort of public forums for entertainment. Um, I don't really have that, that much of an in-depth answer as you do to one of mine's pretty straightforward. What about you, Mandy? Um, I think I only ever really use social media for engagement when something is happening, but otherwise I do really see it as a, like, entertainment platform. I think I'm still in a, like, a headspace that, because people will always say, hey, this is happening, repost, but for me, it's like, that's not doing anything. These people need help like on the ground. They need finances. And me reposting something doesn't feel like I'm necessarily doing anything about it. Sure, I can probably bring attention to it or at least change someone's mindset about something. But I don't feel like engagement on social media is as impactful as people think it is. I agree with you. And I think the only 
immediate effect of trying to engage with people on social media is awareness. Beyond awareness, there isn't much potency with having these sort of campaigns on social media because sometimes you have to think beyond the awareness stage, what is it that we're going to draw out from that? And if it's not much, then maybe we have to redirect our efforts and our energy. Because even the, the other day I was saying that, you know, if you care about human rights issues and you're not just pandering to your audience and you, and you care about people's lives as you purport to be doing, then, you know, you would do a, a little bit more than just post a black square or just retweet something, you know, because everyone knows what's going on. We're not oblivious, we're not all idiots. We're not ignorant either. We can choose to be, but we're not, you know, by nature. And I think that it's very easy to just do some research, educate yourself um, on the extent of these plights and then find out how you can apply your intellect and your resources to actually make a change. But then I think that's something that a lot of people aren't really doing because it requires a lot more effort a lot more thinking and a lot more actual application you know but i guess that's something that maybe people will sort of figure out in the past but have you have you, have you guys watched um the social dilemma not yet watch it as background noise <laughs> <laughs> i think it's it's obviously something it's one of those very i would say it's quite cliche you know it's something that we've sort of heard already, um, but now it just has a Netflix platform, well, a platform from Netflix. Um, but I think it's still pretty interesting because it shows you how, you know, my feed is going to be very different to Monday's feed and to Honda's feed and even Simba's feed. And I think that being said, that can be a disadvantage, obviously, but we can actually flip that and use that to our advantage by curating our phones which is, I think, something that we all at some point need to do. Um, going back to what I was saying about compartmentalizing things is if you curate your phones, you know, we've got so many tools, we can, we can mute certain things, we can block certain things. But also, you know, we always complain about cookies and all these algorithms, but if we use them to advantage and follow the right things, like the right posts, eventually over time, our phones will be curated and we get sort of the information and I would say the crowd that we're looking for, because, you know, you hear people talking about how there's the black Twitter as opposed to, you know, normal Twitter and other various groups. And it can be the same for everyone as an individual. If we could sort of learn to use social media to not overwhelm us, but rather be a tool. And I like how Mundy was talking about how she predominantly uses social media for entertainment. Because you're not going to be able to, like she said as well, engage with everyone or implied, you're not gonna be able to engage with everyone because everyone's not looking for the same thing on social media. So a lot of efforts to sort of campaign and advocate, they're, they're quite wasteful because you, you're sort of talking to an audience that isn't on social media to be engaged with or to be informed about people on social media to have a good time. Yeah, that's really my thoughts on that. But finally, just before we wrap up, I always wanted to ask you guys 
um, or to have a discussion or a short discussion on this. But what are you, what are you guys' opinions on people answering for other people? Do you know what I mean? Like when someone's in a situation, usually on Twitter, um, and then they've got a whole load of people on their back and you've got people coming to their defense before they even say anything. How do you guys feel about that? Because there seems to be this culture that's been established of people running to defend people without knowing them personally um, or knowing much about what actually happened. Um, you can go first. <laughs> I sit myself up. Uh, calm. <laughs> um, yeah, the fighters. That's when you hear, like, yeah, these are my fighters. But um, I don't know. It's it's a really sensitive thing to address because I want to say that, like, some people don't know how to express themselves correctly, right? But then at the same time, if you don't, if you don't say what you want, what you want to say, like, um, and you get someone else to say it for you, I feel like it's to a certain extent it's not taking accountability. I can understand that there are some people who realize or see that the best option is to keep quiet or to let it boil over. And then you just end up seeing people replying for you, thinking that it's an act of weakness. It's I feel like it's very situational, situationally dependent. So yeah, that that's the kind of that's the kind of thing where I try and look at the whole story before I try jump in, and I think that's what the people who like who are in hot water, quote unquote, end up like trying to discuss, like trying to you not know, trying to figure out, saying okay, like let's see the situation. If I reply, will it cause a backlash? If I keep quiet, will what will people think or what will the people that matter think it's it's a very difficult very thin line and no matter it could be a situation where if you keep quiet you're wrong if you talk you're wrong it's yeah it's really dark i i, I wouldn't know like what the best option is but prevention is better than the cure so that's that's one thing i would advise of What's your take, Simba? I think for me personally, I don't really believe in beefing on Twitter. I think we've talked about this with you, Tina, that um, I've just find it so, I don't say, weird, like um, arguing with someone over social media, like, I don't even know you, you don't even know me, so why are we going at each other? And also, the fact that some people come and protect you, it's like, really, I really don't need people to... Of course, I appreciate it that you're coming and defending me, fair and fine. But then I think for me personally, if I, knowing myself, if I say something, if I tweet something, I want to be able to say or okay to say how I feel and how I see this thing not someone else telling my own story like what Tonda say I think it may show that you lack accountability um but for me yeah that's I just want to show people that 
um, this is what I'm thinking. And I, I said this or whatever I said, and um, I defend myself whether I'm correct, whether I'm wrong. It's just, yeah, um, it's just how I just view it, I guess. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, sometimes I feel like, yeah, it's good to back your friends or your supposed friends, alleged friends. But then sometimes when you do that, especially when they're wrong, you basically protect them from taking accountability. And we see that happening a lot, for example, with all these all these debates that really shouldn't be debates. For example, you know, whether or not someone has been allegedly abused and it spills out onto the timeline and you get people who might not even know the guy involved coming to his defense and it just gets really messy and then you know it, it distracts and that's the thing I, why i don't like you know when a lot of people engage in a discussion that's meant to be between two people perhaps not even on twitter um, is that it ends up distracting from what the actual problem is and that's that someone has abused someone and then it becomes you know more of the attention now on the idiots that are you know speaking on behalf of someone else and that's something that we see quite often what about you mandy yeah i'm very different from you guys um yeah so i joined stan twitter when i was like 13 and so <laughs> very combative and like that's like an issue that I've carried on and so like even when I'm like on my norm like I have two different Twitter accounts so if I'm like on my like normal everyday Twitter I do seek out to fight people and I know it's a really bad thing and I'm trying to be better about it but even then if I am choosing to have an argument with someone it's not that I'm necessarily being very serious the whole all the time. It's just kind of very fun for me to fight people sometimes. Um, and I think that's probably the case for others. Like having the protection of like, this is social media. It's not me in real life. I can kind of do whatever I want with no repercussions. It's something that probably has people feeling, yeah, I can go ahead and defend this person and so on. I think people just really like conflict. <laughs> Nat, and can I, not to, sorry to interrupt you, Tito, but it, for this one, uh, like you may say people, uh, but this time, just, just this once, people is actually you. <laughs> okay, yeah, that, that's a given. That's, that's a universally acknowledged fact. I, I do like conflict sometimes, but usually not on Twitter, more on WhatsApp and and so on and so forth. But you see what Mandy's saying, I can understand that. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier that for a lot of people, social media is entertainment. So if you're going there and you're like, yeah, today I'm going to preach and everyone's gonna like it, they're gonna retweet, I'm gonna say some really profound deep stuff. And then just come across, you know, Mandy sir, and she's just like, yeah, today I'm going to log on Twitter. Today I want to find someone. I'm going to just troll them. And I'm just going to enjoy. Everyone's going to be entertained. Then I'm going to log off. You already are thinking, oh, man, Mandy's is serious about what she's saying. And you're now catching feelings. <laughs> but <laughs> really, that, that's not even the situation. And that, that's I'm glad that Mandy said that because it's the reason why I asked a few minutes ago, do you use it for 
engagement or entertainment because sometimes you just don't know what you're coming across and why people are tweeting or doing what they're doing but that's like the beauty you know of social media to a certain extent is that um not only do you get people that are there for different reasons but you also get people that use it differently and it serves as a different tool for different people some people might be having a bad day and they you know they need something to brighten their day up some people might have discovered something that a niche group of people might find interesting and they put it out into the world and that's the cool thing about twitter but then the important thing at the end of the day is that we don't let it sort of overwhelm us because we've already got a whole lot of other things to to worry about i guess as students That brings us to the end of episode three. Thank you once more to Mandi and Tawanda for joining us today. A reminder that you can find us on Instagram at General Consensus Podcast. And you can catch us on a streaming platform near you, be that Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or join us on Spotify. I'm one half of the General Consensus Podcast, and I'll see you later. Take care.